everyone to season four, episode 21 of the Hall of Fame show. How the hell do you last four seasons? Well, I guess when it's your stuff, you really don't get... You own the company. I like the product so much, I bought the company. That, that's a Robert Kraftism, isn't it? I think it was his... Was it, was it not his... Did he not buy that from Victor Kayam, I believe? Was it wasn't the razor blade things where he or was it something else I'm thinking of? All those old white guys look the same, which is probably what some people are thinking when they're looking at us. But anyway, <laughs> one step ahead of me. <laughs> there you go. There you go. But we've got a special guest because Evan Nolan is on secret assignment in Wisconsin. Well, he's in Wisconsin. It's probably not a secret assignment family things that he does every year. And I am with Glenn Pulowski, the intercontinental champion of all triathletes, successfully defended that in Western New York and Antarctica. I don't know where he's going to go next, but uh, wherever it is, I mean, it's a very prestigious title. Hell, but likes of, again, Glenn Pulowski, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, the Honky Tonk Man, and Randy Macho Man Savage. Those are just names I'm grateful to be affiliated with. Absolutely. And because Glenn sort of guilted me into it, I thought, okay, I'll crack open a beer uh, from the fine people here at Lake of the Woods. Lake of the Woods! You can find them in Winnipeg, Kenora, and some town in Minnesota. I don't know. Wait, are they a sponsor? And when do I get my case? Uh, unofficial sponsor. Sometimes they give me free, uh, I get a free beer here, here and there. Okay, so you're reaping all the de benefits of the unofficial, unofficial sponsorship. Uh, for this one, yes. We, we need to expand our sponsorship revenue. Uh, yes, we do. Yes, we do. Uh, having said that, usually uh, I say a lot of dumb things that people don't necessarily want to uh, pick me up as a sponsor. Actually, on my last show, I came, I was sort of like pitching an idea because I secretly, I just really want to be a game show host. And I, I can see that. Yeah, right. So like I, I figured my idea was like I'd be the host of a dating show. You get 12 men and you get 12 women in their early 20s, right? And you just let them have at it. You don't really tell them what's going on. You tell them what the prize is after a week. But the prize is this. It's not really a prize because one of those 12, 24 people have a secret. They entered the house with herpes. And every week we whittle out the person who doesn't have it. Uh, there's so much wrong with that idea, but I love it anyway. <laughs> Who had herpes? One of these people came into house with a sore, and when they leave, it's going to be so much more. <laughs> oh boy, people, this is not scripted. No, no, God, it never is. Uh, well. Nobody really came here to hear about my herpes idea. Uh, they want to hear what we have to think about the Hall of Fame. And there's big Hall of Fame news. The Pro Football Hall of Fame has announced their 12 finalists in both the senior category and the coaches slash contributors. So Glenn's going to help me go through all this. Uh, I got them sort of listed alphabetically. So let's go that go through that. Uh, the first one is return finalists from last year. And, and, but, and I guess before I list them off, kudos, I guess, Kudos to the Pro Football Hall of Fame for being a little bit more transparent. They've always had semifinals from what we believe, but it's only been the last few years where they've actually announced it. So it's uh, sort of nice to sort of do that. Uh, alphabetically is former quarterback Ken Anderson, probably considered by most people the best quarterback not in the Hall of Fame at this point. 
Had he won a Super Bowl, though I don't know anyone who was going to beat San Francisco that year, we wouldn't be having this debate. But former MVP, former one of the good guys, right? Because he's got the Walter Payton Man of the Year. It's 32,000 uh, passing yards and 197 TDs don't seem like much, but it is. For when At it, the time. Yeah. You know, I think what was that, sixth, sixth in passing yards at the time of his retirement or something yeah. like that? Uh, you know, very accurate, two-time uh, leader in pass completion percentage. And it's not like we're talking about a lot of great wide receivers that Cincinnati had while he played there. They didn't. No, not at all. So I this could be his year. Our committees, we've been very, very high on him. Uh, so we're actually going to have a mock committee that uh, Glenn participated in and more homework that I gave him, uh, where we're going to be sort of like going, giving our presentation for who we think should be the our seniors and actually ken anderson's not one of the people we're going to be talking about because we already picked him so we're sort right. of linearly uh so this could i think he's got a good shot uh some of these others really don't uh and i'm only saying that based on what we know in terms of voting from last year uh maxi bond uh, linebacker Split his career from Philadelphia, the Rams, and nine Pro Bowls out of a 10-year period throughout the 60s. Pretty good. Yeah. Nice. That's, that's... yeah. What do you think? Uh, you know, the Pro Bowls are nice, but, I mean, the Hall of Fame likes those all-decade teams. Mm -hmm. uh, your MVPs, they like your championships. Uh, I don't think he'll get in, but then again, I'm talking about a player who got most of his or all his career done and before I was even born. So I have not, did not get a chance to see him play, mm -hmm. but on the stats alone, it, it'll be a long shot. I think so. Uh, one person that I'm huge on, but I don't think again, based on what we've seen, even though he was named to that all centennial class team or not centennial sorry he was part of the centennial slate finalist uh that's running back roger craig who for younger fans basically think of christian mccaffrey he was the first person to do a thousand yards on the ground and a thousand in the air in the same year uh four-time pro bowler three-time champion you know with the super bowl uh super bowl uh 49ers and former offensive player of the year uh he's somebody that i would be pushing for personally I don't think it's going to happen just again, based on what we've seen. I would like to see that happen because again, I mean, that's the era where I started watching football as a kid. I mean, for all intent and purposes, he was the NFC's Thurman Thomas yeah. and Thurman Thomas is already in there. Thurman never got the thousand thousand, mm -hmm. which is a Thomas was known for his running ability and his re receiving ability. And with R Roger Craig, starting his career a little earlier, he was that trend-setting running back. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah I'd love to see him in. I, I would, too. Uh, one person in our group calls this person a lock. I thought that last year. So I, I'm certainly not going to I, – I can't say lock with the way the hall sort of befuddles me periodically because uh, this man is not in, but Bryant Young is. Uh Randy Gratishar, linebacker. Uh, nobody from the Orange Crush has ever gotten in. Uh, Gratishar, former defensive player of the year, was, from what we understand, one of the people just on the barely on the outside. 
he's also someone we're not discussing because as far as we're concerned, he's one of the people we put in uh, along with Chuck Howley who did get in. So we will not be discussing in our group Gratishar and Anderson because we already felt that we have and we were all in agreement that he was our part of our push. Is this finally his year? If you're going to put emphasis on defensive player of the year, that's an award that they look into, but I mean, it's possible. Yeah. And we're not talking like some defensive players of the year. They're like, like a nice flash. I don't want to say flash on the pan, but they have a very brief run at the top. This guy was a seven time pro years. I mean, he should yeah. be in your center. I mean, the orange crush defense, that's, that's the moniker they got. And when you're a piece of that, that should carry some weight. Yeah. And there's nobody in there yet. Uh, another person I'm big on, but I just don't see it. Uh, Joe Jacoby, offensive lineman, uh, all with the Redskins, uh, 81 to 93, uh, three Super Bowls again. And usually, I think the more impressive thing with those three Super Bowls, when you look at that line, you had three court, different quarterbacks, one not too bad one in Theismann, one in Doug Williams. And yes, history is very important for what he did as the first African American to win a Super Bowl, but realistically he was an average quarterback if that you're being very kind i am uh mark rippon same yes uh john riggins was the running back in the first one but i don't believe in the other two so you're just getting he yeah there yes i there's already a lineman in there but i think if there's any line that deserves two it's the hogs yeah, I mean, yeah, again, an offensive line with the moniker of the Hogs, who basically was responsible for their offensive output. Yeah. We did, like allowing less than stellar, like skill performers to exceed. Uh, one person that I, I'm still struggling with, I, I like him. I love watching him play. I never got a Hall of Fame vibe from him. Some people in our group strongly disagree. Uh, he was a finalist for the first time in his last year of eligibility. And here he is a finalist in his first year of eligibility as a senior. And that's Albert Lewis. And I, I keep wondering, am, am I missing something? Because some people are making this like, this is a no brainer, but I, I don't feel that. I, I mean, the stats are there, but again, when you look at the list of defensive backs that are in the Hall of Fame, and particularly from that era, there were a lot of good defensive backs from that era. Mm -hmm. Does match up with them? And I think that's what you're kind of thinking of when you we hear so. Albert. And is he on the par with his contemporaries? That's the question. Jack Silverstein and... Uh, Jeff Schlegel have really been pushing that in our group. You can follow them at Reed Jack and the Schlegel Daddy. And I, I, I'm sort of bringing up bringing them up because Jack has done another phenomenal job uh, pushing for Steve Mongo McMichael. And that was I don't know if he started doing that before he was contracted with ALS. It, it I, might be, I, I don't recall, but uh, he's got a great thread on that. Uh, obviously, the elephant in the room is is this happening now? Because I, I don't mean to sound callous here, but Mongo's got a death sentence. ALS yes, is absolutely right at that point. 
you know, he's not going to be probably with us in five years, unfortunately. Uh, it is probably the most horrific disease I can think of. But he was never really on a radar. He was not a, 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 a semifinalist last year. Jack has done a great job sort of expanding on why this, why he's, he belongs. You look at pro football references, approximate value, and there's more to him than perhaps, than perhaps really meets the eye. And the argument you can make is if you're going to sort of put him in at some point in time, do it while he's alive. And we've discussed that through many Hall of Fames with athletes who were on that borderline, but then years later they get enshrined and it's their families that are accepting the jackets, the rings or whatever. Right. What and the mentality is, well, what changed from when they were alive from when they died? And yeah. so this is a scenario where you might want to lose those criteria that you've been clinging to, mm-hmm. Mr. Hall, and just say, okay, does he meet the criteria? Yes or no. There's no reason to let him wait. Mm-hmm. Go ahead and do it or go ahead and don't do it. I mean, we've seen it in baseball with Ron Santo and hockey with uh, Pat Burns. Uh, right. Yeah. Being more egregious, in my opinion, only because we'll, we knew also knew he was dying. And then mm-hmm. they put him in the year after. It's like Halls don't want to be told what to do. But since no one was really saying this before, I don't know. This feels different. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm right. I don't know. But I'll be very intrigued to see what sort what will happen there. Uh, incidentally, uh, I don't believe he was one of the 12 that we sort of came up with. Uh, a cornerback that I've been doing a lot of deep dive on, who I, I think would make a great Hall of Famer. I don't think he will. Uh, Eddie Metter. Uh, Full career with the Rams, 46 interceptions, uh, playing a defensive back, cornerback, and safety. Uh, two first-time All-Pro. Big part of that team, but not part of that uh, Ram defense later, uh, the fearsome foursome that would become more iconic. So this... Again, all-decade teams, you make that. And, then, I mean, 46 interceptions in that era. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is he was done before 1970 when throwing started to come in vogue and to put mm-hmm. up those numbers. Again, you got to look at the era. Was he excellent? Was he great in that era? And then was it enough to push him into the Hall of Fame? Yeah. And that's what needs to be. Uh, Art Powell, uh, split end wide receiver, also played defensive back. Uh, pretty much he's our AFL candidate. Uh, twice led the AFL in rushing, uh, five-time AFL All-Star, two-time first-team All-Pro. Uh, expand on that while I check to see what my 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 it, my dog just did. Hey. Yes, our co-host is running amok, high atop Mount Manitoba. Yeah, well, it's be, it's because of this one here. Yes, our co-host. Oh yes, uh, Winnie. Uh, Winnie the Jet sometimes causes mischief here at the top of Mount Manitoba. Uh, I'm not sure, but I think she may or may not have eaten some poo. Uh, whose poo is she eating? Well, I'm hoping it's hers. It's not well, mine. I don't think it's... That, that, that actually will be season two of the Herpy Show. Who usually eats poo? 
Okay. <laughs> that might actually be more disgusting for some people. I don't know. You know, it would not be. I would not be surprised if there's already been a show out there that has already done that. Yeah, but it'd be in Germany. Schweizen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's called Schweizen. Absolutely- I don't know how we segue back to the AFL. I, I was hoping you were going to make that. I was looking for something, but I don't have it. Uh, well, you never know. Uh, Winston Hill, when he was elected a couple years ago, was a bit of a surprise to me. This would be a surprise, too. I Again, I don't see it. I just don't see the momentum there. But strange things happen. Uh, if we want to look at somebody who was great for a very short period of time, Man, Sterling Sharp. He's got the one thing that you sort of look for in a Hall of Famer to me, which is, were you at one point the best at your position? He was. Yes. Absolutely. And if they don't do that for him soon, with the way wide receiver stats are inflating and inflating. He's going to get lost. He's going to get lost. Uh, It's great to see him here. Uh. I, mean, I, equate him, I equate him in his career with Gail Sayers. Mm-hmm. Both were great. Both had short careers. One's in and the other is not. That's my opinion. One didn't have a best friend who died. And had a movie made about it. One movie was good and the other one not so much. I didn't know there was another movie about that. There was. And they... I... I think I fell asleep watching it and didn't take time to watch it again. Was it called Brian Sings Again? Like, what what do you do with that? When you already had James Caan and Billy D. Williams, you don't do that again. did a remake and then I tried, I think they tried to get, and again, I fell asleep during it, so I don't Mm. remember all of it clearly, but I think they tried to get more into the political aspects of the era as opposed Mm. to, uh, which, I mean, they did get into the racial aspect in the first one, but it was more of a good guy, buddy, buddy, guy movie where, I mean, it's probably number one on the list of movies that all men cry at. Not, I haven't cried in a movie since The Night at the Roxbury. <laughs> you didn't pry, cry at the end of Brian's song? I did not, no. Wow, okay. No, I take that uh, back. I, I do not cry at movies. I have I? I don't think so. Okay. But yeah, Sterling, I believe, should have been in a while ago. Yeah, I, I feel just based on what I how I think things could sort of like fly through, even though like we're we're talking to talk about another wide receiver next who has some similar career numbers. It's just not necessarily the same, just only because he's more modern. You ex- When you look at a Powell and the next person, Otis Taylor, you don't necessarily expect to see them with numbers that are comparable to what Justin Jefferson might get. Right. I know there's a better right. example. That was just the first one that came in my head. No, I mean, it's fair. Yeah. Uh, Otis Taylor, uh, probably the best chief not in. Uh, Super Bowl champion, two-time AFL champion. He's also got a, a, a title in, in yards. Or sorry, in wide receiving. Uh, I was about to say rushing. Be another great choice, but I don't think they're thinking of him. 
No, and, and he's another one. The further away you get from the time he played, yeah. starts to play against you. Now, the next one, Paul Lawrence, uh, who you were kind enough to help co-host on, on a show that we do, uh, he thinks that this could be a, a Dark Horse candidate, mainly because this is our only only one that from way back, uh, Al Worcester, uh, tackle, guard, defensive end, played from 43 to 51, two-time NFL champion with Philadelphia, or first-team All-Pros. So if there, since the Lavi Dilwigs didn't get through or the Ox Emersons, the people that would be sort of comparable in terms of era, he stands alone. So if you were sort of thinking, you know, we really got to write some wrongs from pre-1950, he's it. Yeah, he's, he's the one on the list. And maybe that's what the, and again, we don't know exactly how they come up with these. They, they have their committee and they do sort of a vote similar to what we do, actually. The only right. difference is uh, we don't hear what's going on. We don't get no. any. So some will state their case when they're on the committee. Very few do. Uh, that's sort of like why when we're doing our little project, we try to be as transparent as possible. We actually invite you into the room to watch it uh, from high atop Mount Manitoba. With thank you for watching past episodes and bearing with us all on our tangents. Oh, I'm the king of the tangent. But yeah, if they're, if they're thinking about evenly dispersing eras for this class, he would be a good choice. Uh, Anderson would be your next one. And then, yeah, maybe Craig or mm -hmm. McMahon. Yeah, it'll, it'll be really interesting. We don't know when exactly they're going to be making that announcement. We know that they're meeting next month for both committees. So usually they do those pretty soon, I think, often before the season even begins, when we'll, we'll have that announcement. Uh, so let's, let's do a quick look at those who did not get in. There's one person I want to sort of like point out, which is very interesting to me. Uh, first off, uh, running back Otis Anderson, linebacker Carl Banks, running back Larry Brown, wide receiver Mark Clayton, quarterback Charlie Connerly, wide receiver Henry Ellard, cornerback Lester Hayes. Hayes is actually someone we will be discussing because we have him in our 12. Uh, Chris Hinton, offensive lineman. Cecil Lisbell, tailback. Billy White Shoes Johnson, uh, returner. Mike Ken, offensive lineman. Bob Kuchenberg, offensive lineman. And he's the one that I find very interesting because he was a finalist last year and apparently in the top five. So I don't know what changed because the committee didn't change by much. Yeah, that's interesting to take that step backwards. Kuchenberg is like from every story you read about him was not exactly the the most likable individual, but they liked him enough last year. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean personalities that does play a role in these games of picking who you want to get in. Maybe they all heard a story that we did not know. Uh, I don't know. Uh, George Koontz, offensive line. Jim Marshall, defensive end. Clay Matthews, junior linebacker. Uh, Stanley Morgan, wide receiver. Tommy Nobis, linebacker. Uh, I think Nobis was a part of the 12 last year also. So he's another interesting one to sort of fall off. Uh, Steve Tasker, special teams, and Everson Walls, cornerback. So there you go. 
Uh, for the coach contributors, uh, we have Tom Coughlin. Don't see it. I think he's lower in the queue, even though he is uh, two Super Bowl champions. Yeah, given who the, who's on this coaching list, yeah. I mean, definitely worthy, but there's a few that we'll go over that probably should get in ahead of him. Possibly the one uh, below, Mike Holmgren. Right. Uh, champion with the Packers, uh, took Seattle further than they probably should have. Uh, was very close to actually winning a title there. Uh, mm -hmm. Better winning percentage than Coughlin. Uh, I think they've got him higher up. Uh, Bucko Kilroy, basically he's here as an executive, uh, mostly for his scouting work and a lot of work with, uh, with the Patriots. You can make a case for him as a player, and I have. Actually, he's, he's listed on the Not in Hall of Fame 300. But overall, his, go ahead. If someone has a career like like a playing career mm -hmm. and then moves into the office and does what he's done, mm -hmm. I mean, that should be enough to get you in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, just these committees sort of separate everything. And I think we're, I'm sort of seeing that as we're doing – and I'll just sort of plug our project uh, that you were voluntold to sort of be a part of. Yes, it was. Which is the Pro Football Hall of Fame Revisited Project. And what that is, the Pro Football Hall of Fame came into existence in 63. And we're thinking, what if it started in 46? And we picked that because I always think that any hall or any team should do something 25 years into their existence. And yeah, okay, well, that's 20, year 26. Okay, the, it, the class would be announced as January. I got that in air quotes for those listening of every year. So it looks like that we're going to get some people who in the first class who got in inducted into the actual first class in 63 as contributors, but were held players themselves. I, I don't think uh, I'm going to speak out of turn unless there's still some votes that might come in. It looks like George House is going to be part of that class. So he's going to be inducted as a player. Was he far more instrumental in everything he did as an executive? Absolutely. But we're looking at this as 1946. We don't have a, a coach contributor thing yet. That plans to roll out in 1950. So, yep, play with what sort of dealt. I mean, if when you're that far in, where do you really go with that? I don't know. It's not right. perfect. It's very transparent. So if you want to blame somebody, you can blame me. You can also blame me if a show comes out about who has herpes. Blame me for that. That was my idea. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> That's why I have a co-host. Imagine if I just did this alone. You know, if we make it big and we get sponsorship and we can do a show of just the Bucknerverse for 24 yeah. hours, that would be interesting. Brought to you by Vagisil. <laughs> I don't, actually, I don't know what, look, who, who actually cures, no, nobody cures herpes. What's a herpes cream company? I wouldn't know, Kirk. I don't know anything about herpes and herpes. <laughs> There'd even oh, even for the show, I've even come up with an idea. There'd be a mask mascot, and he'd sort of like be this muscular guy, but he'd be called Hercules. Uh, Evan's gonna kill me <laughs> <laughs> because I'm just contributing to all of this. 
Ah, all right. Speaking of Evan, his favorite team is the New England Patriots, and we've got Robert Kraft. Uh, probably he should be in. Uh, he saved the Patriots. The Patriots became great largely because of him, because he knew knew how to he knew when to step in, when to step out. Boston is a large is one of the most important cities in the United States. They need to have a team there. He kept it there and under his watch, six Super Bowls. And it'll be a happy ending for us all if he gets in. <laughs> uh, Thank I, you. I, I, saw, I saw where you were going and I wasn't gonna stop you on that one. Yeah, well, sometimes uh even I throw myself a softball. But in all seriousness, softballs. Uh, uh craft yeah, Kraft will get in there. Uh, and again, uh, this is going to be my tirade on the Patriots. Go ahead. Well, you're a Bills fan, full disclosure, so that, that's why. You're a Bills fan. But, I mean, to be fair, I can appreciate the Jets. I can appreciate the Dolphins. I can appreciate the Steelers. But for some reason, their whole cheating scandal got lost. They're still seen as the great – or were seen as the great franchise – Whereas they are a great franchise, you can't say that they're not. No, but we'll go over to another sport, Major League Baseball, where the Astros are still getting vilified for their cheating scandal. Now I know you're baseball, maybe it's not apples to apples, but it's still cheating. You have a slew of baseball players that are never going to see the light of day in the Hall of Fame. Why? Because they cheated either steroids or the Black Sox scandal, they cheated. But for some reason, you're still, NFL is still holding Robert Kraft, Tom Brady, and whoever was involved in those cheating scandals still on a pedestal, and I just don't get it. Uh, Okay, I've got a theory to that. And there's a current Buffalo Bill who uh, was also a cheater and has not been been vilified, and that's Vaughn Miller. Because he was suspended for PED use. And But I, I think I, and I forget who actually wrote this. Uh, but I, I, something I read so long, so much longer ago. Like, why do we care so much more about this in baseball? And I think the answer is because it's such a stat-driven league, and we glorify statistics. So Barry Bonds breaks Hank Aaron's record. Well, he did so because he cheated. Uh, somebody breaks a line, a sack record. Well, he's just getting that edge, you know. Uh, I, I know that wasn't the case, but I, I don't know that out. that so differently? I mean, I don't get it. No, but that, I mean, that's the best theory I got from what I read. And I think there's something to it. We romanticize I mean, I, baseball statistics. We don't romanticize football statistics as much. True. And then we'll, we'll address some of that romanticism in the next show, in the next episode of the classic sports review, when we go back and look at the 1994 all-star game. Oh, I, and I, I know I, I got an opening for him, by the way. Well, that whole opening to the show. I mean, yeah. that's that's we'll talk about that, but romanticize. Yeah. And it's amazing how that was the case in 1994. And now in almost coming up on 2024, that romanticism isn't there. No, no. I mean, like this. Yeah, when we get there, because like that was something that I mean, it killed uh, killed it in Montreal. Mm-hmm. Wow, that stadium didn't help either. But. No. but yeah, but I mean, and again, baseball. I mean, George Bush made it his 
mission to distract us from his incompetence and decide to have Senate hearings on steroids and cheating in baseball. But no one decided, well, there was a brief investigation on the New England Patriots and Spygate, but beyond that, you're you're so much, you're right. Because, you know, American presidents since then have not tried to distract uh, the the populace with uh, nonsense. That doesn't, that never happened since Republican or Democrat. Facts. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody who. Yeah, Robert Kraft's going to get in. I, I think he will get on it. I think this is going to be easier. I because what coach last time, maybe contributor this time. I I will predict. Of course, I predicted Kraft last year too. So what do I know? Uh, someone who probably should have been in already. Uh, Buddy Parker, uh, great uh, head coach for the Lions when they were good. When they were last good, uh, two championships uh, in the fifties. The last time they had, held a championship. Uh, didn't do as well when he took over at Pittsburgh, but still has an overall record of 104, 75, and nine. Uh, I'm, I'm segueing because it's my show. I can do that. What was your initial thought when you heard Detroit's getting the opening kickoff game? It surprised me. Mm-hmm. Then, I mean, are they? I mean, are they setting up the stage for something? I don't. I don't I mean, know. It's, I mean, is this going to be a power against a sexy coming up team? But yeah, I mean, I feel like there's going to be a lot of people sort of predicting to, like great things for Detroit. But I feel like this happens every year. You've got that that trendy pick, like was Cleveland a little while ago. I mean, no, and everybody loves the coach. I mean, he, he energy personified. Yeah. I don't know. It's uh, just interesting. I, I did not see that. Ha- did not see that coming. But it's football. You can pretty much put anyone in that in that spot. No, you could. Yeah. No, you're right. Uh, Dan Reeves. Here's an interesting one. Uh, never won, but uh, 190 wins. Been to four Super Bowls. I mean, yeah. I mean, you want to call him a poor man's Marv Levy? I mean, he pretty much did the same stuff. And I'd argue with lesser talent. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that Falcons team, I mean, who would have, I mean, who, I mean, who predicted them to go to that Super Bowl? No one did. So, yeah, I mean, there's, there's, he's more than worthy to be in there. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, same with the next person, Art Rooney Jr., uh, part of the legendary Rooney family, uh, current vice president, but it's, it's, it's a tough role when you, when you got craft here, I think. Yeah, uh, I mean, yeah, same word, basically. Marty Schottenheimer, uh, another person who's never won, but again, another huge overall record, uh, 200 wins. Well, a lot of coaches can say that. Uh, Mike Shanahan, who did win with Denver, did get those two Super Bowls, also has won with as an assistant coach, 171-38. I mean, he'll eventually get there. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if we'll ignore his statistics and not put him in. If they want to go old school, then it's going to be this guy. Well, it could be Parker, but Clark Shaughnessy, very important behind-the-scenes man, uh, Never a head coach in the NFL, but always an assistant, a consultant, was a head coach in college a lot. 
very important man in the history of football, but that was divided between college and pro. And it is the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Yeah, so it's only because of his competition, it's going to be really, really tough. Uh, so we, Lloyd Wells. Only one gets in this category, right? Yeah, only one. Yeah. Lloyd Wells, uh, first uh, full-time African-American scout, uh, did so with Kansas City and focusing on the HBCUs, and he did a great job there. And another scout, John Wooten. Uh Two Super Bowls, one with Dallas, one with Baltimore uh, as a scouting executive. This eliminated uh, Bud Adams Jr., Rune Arledge, C.O. Bracato, Alex Gibbs, Ralph Hay, who the man who created the NFL is not in here. He's not a <laughs> finalist. Well, yeah, that's a little bit of a head scratcher, but what are you going to do? It's the Pro Football Hall of Fame committee. Well, I mean, it might be different come 1950 and we have our little senior committee, but we never know. Uh, Eddie Kotal, Coach Kotal, uh, Elmer Layden, Jerry Markbright, uh, Virginia McCaskey. That, I don't know how the hell she was even on the finals to begin with. Uh, Rich McKay, John McVeigh, Art Medell, Carl Peterson, Jerry Seaman, George Seifert, Seymour Siwoff, and Jim Tunney are those who did not make the final cuts. Either way, uh, I would like to just extend the congratulations to those who got here. And uh, to those, I guess, online, if you're just sort of like saying, it's it's a joke that this, it's a it's criminal that this person's not like this. Come on, just come up with your reasoning. Just don't just be so dismissive. That, that line of talk never works, ever. You never will sway anyone with it's a if your sentence starts with it's a joke that no because you're offending the organization and the voters and those because when someone's told they're an idiot they're not going to really listen to it, what you're having to say what you're saying it yes. never, yeah my my uh pair of pennies there uh normally at this point uh there's a few sections that we do i'm going to go a little bit different. Usually I've got a section where I do elevator up, elevator down, where I discuss those whose chances have improved and those who did not over the past week. Basically, we just have 24 people who were elevator ups. So there's no point going there. Uh, Evan usually does, talks about those who we lost. And Evan is far kinder than I am. And we'll sort of put a lot more effort into sort of like the dead, the people that we lost. Uh, I'm gonna go a little bit differently. So I'm just gonna focus on only two people. And I just want to give them their due. So we lost two musical legends uh, that, I, that I think were very, very different, both very important in their own way. Uh, the first uh, that we lost is Tony Bennett, I believe at, was it 100? I think he, or close to. I think it was 98. 98, okay. Tony Bennett was, I don't know that he was the most influential person if you were to come up with a list of the most hundred influential American singers, I don't think he'd be there, but he would, if you went top 50, most iconic. Mm -hmm. uh, King of the American pop standard. He knew who he was and he did not change with the times. And that's okay. Cause that's not what he wanted to do. It as big as he was in the fifties and early sixties, that didn't translate into the seventies. So I was reading a whole lot about, 
sort of his depression and his own drug use. I didn't know that he did a whole lot of that. I was unaware of that too until the news started coming out and then doing the spots on him. I did not realize he had addiction problems. Mm-hmm. But I guess that was probably, I mean, going through all the biopic movies that we've seen the last few years of musicians, I guess that was just the thing to do going as far back to Tony Bennett's age. The amazing thing is too, like, because uh, Woody, he was doing some, a lot of cocaine with that nose. How the hell did he not overdose? Well, I wouldn't want to be sharing a line with him. Like, hey, Tony, use it all up again, you dipshit. Uh, yes, Evan, Evan is much more nicer. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's why I, I sort of, I just sort of like lean back on that one when he sort of does all that part. I, I, I That's not my strength. But in the early 90s, he became cool again. Uh, yes. And I think... That was the right time for that to happen. I, I didn't really think about that until today. Grunge actually, I think, helped him out because it was more about who you were and not who you were trying to be. And I he, never... yeah, and Tony Bennett, even though his record company said like you gotta be, you gotta come get with the times, and he that wasn't who he was. And then a whole new generation discovered him. It's like, okay, this old guy is pretty cool because he's just being himself. He's being himself. He's not embarrassing himself. He can sing. And he was pretty much selling out arenas until he couldn't, or large facility or venues until he couldn't perform anymore and did so without having to compromise anything. He wasn't Pat Boone when he did heavy, the songs of, what was it, that heavy metal cover thing? Yeah, yeah. He wasn't, uh, yeah, Pat Boone, and I don't remember what show it was, but just coming out in the leather vest, shirtless. Yeah. Just, just disturbed me. His cover of Crazy Train should never have been done. Also, Paul Anka, when he covered uh, Smells Like Teen Spirit. Right, have, right. Have you seen that one? I, I vaguely remember it. But yeah, you're, you're getting right to the point where Bennett, though he did do the collaborations. But they collaborated st- to him. Right, exactly. It stayed true to the music mm-hmm. and actually showed how talented those artists were. Yeah. Tony, well, if he did, I, I someone can correct me, but I don't think Tony Bennett went out, hey, my polka, polka, my polka face. No, Lady Gaga did what went with him because Lady Gaga, someone like, like her or love her, also knows who she is. Correct. And is not afraid to sort of like do other genres. I mean, it's, I'm not necessarily if Lady Gaga's playing her. I don't know that I'd really care to see her, but I respect the hell out of don't her. That makes sense. Say that. My cousin's husband went with her to see Lady Gaga. Mm-hmm. And I want to say two weeks later we were at a ball game or something. And he said, okay. Glenn, you know who really puts on a great show. No, Steve, who? Lady Gaga. And I think I spit out my beer or something like this. <laughs> no, phenomenal show. If you ever get a chance, you should see her. Well, I'm not going to go see her. But yeah, a guy who's not into that genre went to a Lady Gaga show and was just thrown by it. Yeah. I, I think Bennett was always Bennett, and that made him cooler. And I think we we learned this early as kids. If you're cool, you don't tell people you're cool. Correct. Bennett never did. Bennett never gave in. Bennett was him. 
to the very to really the end. Uh, he died of Alzheimer's. He apparently caught it or, or contracted it in 2016. wasn't made public till 2020. So because it, basically when he's performing, from what I was reading, yeah, he just couldn't. He didn't remember that he actually performed. Oh wow! So like he could because his short term memory just went to shit. Right, right. Uh, apparently, like even like in his dying days, he was just singing still. So, Tony Bennett, uh, R.I.P. You're a legend, uh, absolutely. The other one I want to talk about, in and I'm, I'm surprised this got to me because another person that I wasn't necessarily a fan of but respected, and not Sinead O'Connor, who we lost at the age of 56. And in some ways, I think she's very much a polar opposite. Sinead O'Connor died always searching for happiness. I don't know if she was ever happy in her life. She was abused uh, or sexually by her mother and not to sort of stereotype things in Ireland, but Ireland's a lot more religious than we are here in Canada and the United States, respectively. You know, you're far more tied in with the Catholic church or, and that was something that was a big part of who she was. She's most known for two things, for, for well, I'll say the thing that I know her the most for, which is her amazing debut album, The Lion and the Cobra. And if anyone hasn't really heard that and you just take anything out of this, just go back and listen to that album. I'm not as fond of stuff she did after that, but I, I think that is one of my favorite albums of that particular year, which is, I believe, 87. Uh, so the other thing she's most known for is her number one hit, uh, Nothing Compares to You, the Prince cover that it, it blows you away. I just, uh, you can't imagine that somebody else wrote that. Right, one of those songs that better than the original. By far. And we're talking about better than something Prince did. Right, right. Yeah. The other thing, which sort of ties in, I guess, where I'm going with that is when she was on Saturday Night Live, and I was trying to remember, did I see this when it happened or did I see it like everyone else afterwards? And I, I don't recall. But it's, she performed her second song, or I think it was her second, doesn't matter, and had a picture of the Pope at the end of her song, ripped it up and said, fight the real enemy. Which led to what could be argued as the first real cancellation before we called it that. She was banned from NBC. I don't know if she ever was allowed back. Banned from Saturday Night Live. Two days later, three days later, she was at the Bob Mar. Uh, what I don't know what it was, but it was at Madison Square Garden. She was performing, I want to say, "War" or a "Redemption" song by Bob Marley. I don't recall which. Was pretty much booed off the stage, and there's still something I still remember that image of Chris Christopherson sort of coming out and just hugging a, a completely distraught Sinead who cracked. Just, she just lost it. What she was necessarily saying, I'm still not completely sure, uh, as I don't think we're, uh, we're really offending anyone, even Catholics, by saying, unfortunately, there's been issues with the Catholic Church in terms of issues with children. And so, sorry, that's true. That could have been her thing. I, it could have been far deeper. I'm, I, I was looking at so much, but then I, you try and deep, dig dig into one thing and then all these other things sort of pop up. Sinead O'Connor always sort of struggled with her religion. There was that time where she was ordained by a French church 
So she would come, she actually, she had her, I don't know, I guess the collar is what you call it. I guess it's just the collar. I don't know. Uh, converted to Islam in 2018, had an Islamic name, then you'd see her in a hijab. But the last video that someone posted of her was just like a week ago where she's in her flat uh, talking about how she's got noxema on her face, but unfortunately it's not from anything sexual while wearing a tank top. So it's not exactly this holy Islamic vibe giving off. So like, I think this is a woman who looked for how, I'm playing amateur psychiatrist, I don't fucking know, but just trying to find happiness through religion all her life and never did. Uh, she would say, come out as bipolar, then she said, no, I'm not. And then just later say, I'm bipolar, but then, no, I'm not. Her, there was, I think it was like 10 years ago where she put out a whole video where it looked like she was going to kill herself. And then she was, I don't know, I guess under watch or just like under doctor's care for a while. So I don't know if this woman was ever happy. Even the, like with Prince, there was a story that she told once that Prince tried to sexually assault her. Oh, wow. I did not know that. So this woman just did not have a great life, left behind some good music. Her, her son killed himself at the age of 17 a year ago. And I'm not a parent. Uh, I'm barely a dog parent, as we see. My dog still eats his or her own shit. So, but I I can't imagine sort of thinking, okay, my my son killed himself due to mental illness. Did I give it to him because of my shitty genes? I don't know what she's thinking. I don't have a clue, but or was thinking. I I do take a lesson from this. If you can find yourself early, that's great, whatever that might be. That's it. I don't have anything more poignant to say. No, no understood. Yeah. It, it's it's an interesting story that she laid out through her life. Yeah, it uh, doesn't look like she took her own life. I, that's what I thought. Uh, that might be proven differently as this airs, but... Uh, from what I read, uh, no, like no foul play suspected. So, who, who's who knows? Could be natural causes. It, it could be. It could be. So, you know, who knows what you do when you're self medicating? And I assume she probably was. Well, again, we discussed with Tony Bennett how that's just the lifestyle where you self medicate, and yeah. I've never been around that lifestyle. I don't know what it takes to create art to have to create art for a living, to have other people critique your art mm -hmm. uh, with the art that's very close to you, with someone who's trying to sell the art, it's just a product. And I'm sure that weighs on someone's mind when they're trying to do that for a living. I think especially with, with Sinead too, like I don't know if she cared that much about being a superstar. Oh, no, I probably not. Yeah. I mean, after her giant hit, and she never came close to having another one, I don't know if she didn't do what she did on SNL, if that happens anyway. No, she doesn't. Uh, well, you go back to the whole Irish culture, and I'm going to guess that her mother was a devout Catholic. I believe so. 
passively doing whatever she was doing under the name of Catholicism. And then you addressed it later on with the cover-ups that went on within the Catholic Church. Mm -hmm. I mean, after all that happened, it's like, okay, Sinead was right. And she got demonized for what she did. Well, I, I think also too, because she puts that out there, but it's 92. I don't know, like the stories were out there, but they weren't out out there. It wasn't public. It wasn't in the mainstream news. And you got someone who just does that and you think like, what the hell is this about? Also, and that's what well, I, even then, I also read other things. Or in a 2013 interview, she says that she shouldn't have done it and that the Pope might have been a really good guy. And then in 2020 interview, she says it was the best thing I ever did. So, yeah, bipolarism. I mean, or just, yeah, bipolarism, yeah. struggling yeah. with what is it that's going to make me happy? I, I, I don't know. And, it, and it's sort of, Maybe that's sort of why I've been thinking about this a hell of a lot more for somebody who's only had really one album I liked. I didn't really care for most of the stuff after. I, I don't know. It's it's a. I never know what's sort of going to hit me and what doesn't. When, when people pass away, so Evan, yeah, Evan, apologies, buddy. Like I, I know you do this far better than I do. I, I just. Uh, I just wanted to focus on these two and yeah. And apologies for what I'm going to, how I'm going to close. Now, Evan always does a section called uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly of the week. Uh, sometimes I have my own, another section where it's called my smorgasbord of shit. I'm going to get out of the way. Well, it, I, it's even got a, its own theme song. Was that the Swedish chef making an appearance? Yes. That's exactly what it was. <laughs> oh, fantastic. There you go. Uh, so I just want to like vent off a few things here. Uh, some interesting things from the world of sports. Uh, some good, some bad, some ugly. Uh, good. Uh, Women's World Cup has been a lot of fun to watch. I know it's really hard for us here on uh, North America because it's all in Australia, New Zealand. Uh, having said that, I actually love watching women's soccer, mainly because they don't do things that the men do, which is pretend to be injured for 10 minutes uh, and just go uh, and then, uh, uh, then pop right back up. Uh, obviously, I'm not going to say stand here and say like, well, you know, they'd all get destroyed against the men's team. Yeah, they would. So what? Uh, we know that. Uh, but there hasn't been as many blowouts as we've seen in the past. So that third tier of countries are really improving. And it's nice to see. So I just wanted to sort of like put that out there. That it, It's something that's really good. And if you haven't watched any of it, just watch a game at that lens. Just don't look at what they, they are not necessarily doing. Just I like, I like to look at what they don't do, which is, again, pretend to be hurt because anytime somebody tells me oh soccer is the greatest sport in the world i can just say yeah except for those diets and they just go like yeah yeah you're right <laughs> you can't defend it it is the most annoying thing ever i don't know how we have more we don't have more uh, ex-soccer players as soap opera stars 
just the way they overdramatize everything. They're very good. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, here's, I guess, my bad and ugly in, in its own way. And yeah, I'm going back to the WNBA. Now, Glenn, I'm going to tell you the name of a woman. Let's see if you know who this is. Raquana Williams. Who is Raquana I have, Williams? I have no clue who she is. Okay. But you're going to tell I, Well, I'm going to tell you. Come on down. It's We're going to play Does Glenn Know Who This Woman Is? <laughs> Game show host voice attempt here. Now, I did a whole diatribe. Glenn, actually, I did it twice. Glenn got to hear, hear that. And I said that sometimes it's really hard to market these women because they do stupid things. Mm. I, was, I was here for that rant. Yes. Uh, sometimes they do even awful things. Raquana Williams beat the shit out of her wife. 10-year vet in her 11th year. Was an all-star about seven years ago, so decent player. I don't know how much longer she's got. Uh, she's hurt this year, so she hasn't played a game, but uh, it was a member of Las Vegas's championship team last year. Now, not only did she beat the shit out of, out of the wife, and the nine counts of battery, one of them is strangulation and assault and attempt with a weapon or something like that. When it's nine, does it really matter? It's bad. No, it the WNBA, where Black Lives Matter, except for their black lives. No? Hey, I'm staying out of the way. Okay. <laughs> okay, I know I know that might have been a step too far, made many steps too far, but unfortunately we see this before. Not only is this one of many WNBA players who have been charged with domestic violence, this is the second time for her. She got a 10 game suspension in 2019. Uh, the aces, to their credit, have banned her from club activities. The WNBA has done nothing. If this was an NBA player, what would we expect? I, I, mm. I think we know the answer here. For a second time? Second time. Well, I mean, we, we know what the NBA did when the athlete decided to brandish his weapon online for a second time. Right. Uh, but this is physical abuse and violent. I mean, the NBA would probably crack down ridiculously hard. Possibly banned from the league, especially if it's somebody who will be blunt, is not a, a needle mover. Correct. And if they would do that to John Morant, who is, who has no victim other than his own stupidity. It's a stupid Fact. thing he did but he did not hurt anybody other than trying to pretend to be a thug. This one has a distinct victim. I don't know if it's the same wife. I didn't check that out. I, but this is where they've got to sort of like crack down and just say, this is un intolerable. I know we're in a weird spot, right? Where we want to protect women, right? Uh, from violence but what do you do when it's the woman who's abusing see that's the thing you're going into a new venue because we're acceptance of relationships absolutely and our society has always viewed the husband and wife male female dynamic mm -hmm. where 
nine times out of 10, the women's always the victim. Well, now you go over to the other side and when you have the same sex couples, domestic violence on the female side, well, the women, the woman's always got to be the victim. And now how do you handle this? It's yeah, we haven't figured this out yet, but at some point, this is where you are. You've had this problem before, not once, not twice, multiple times. So you have to sort of come up with something, a league policy, which really shouldn't be that controversial. I get why you wouldn't want to sort of like shed light on this a few years ago. But like you said, there's, I, I don't, like, do you know anyone right now? And like, I'm 50, you're 10 years younger than me, I believe, right? No, I'm, I'm like only a couple years behind you. But thank oh. you for thinking 10 years younger than you. Okay, I, I, I just assume. So there you go. Uh, okay, either way, we're we're in the mid the middle six of our golf course. Yeah. I don't know if I've ever come across anybody in the last 10 years, even in my age group, even older, who when they say, oh, gay marriage, that's awful. No. Which is a good thing. It's a great thing. But we haven't sort of figured this out here. And so I guess where I'm going with this, if it's like 2016 and the WNBA is like, oh, shit, I don't know what to do. We don't want to like publicize that almost all our players are gay. Nobody gives a shit at this no. point now. So you have to come up with something and treat them like you would if you were any other league, which is this woman is gone, period. Sure. I mean, I mean, the, the example that's coming to mind is Domingo Herman who mm -hmm. lost the whole season when he was assaulting his wife at a Yankee charity event. Right. Uh, I guess you give the guy a second chance because he did come back. He did marry the young lady, but he lost an entire season. I, I, I'm all for second chances. She had that. Yeah, you're, you're right. I, I truly, and I've said this many times. I mean, like there should be redemption paths for, for people, even her. If, there is a way to sort of figure that out, but you have to come out and say that she's suspended. I would just say you're suspended indefinitely until further notice. Right. Then deal with that with her union, whatever. I don't know until more facts come out because this is still pretty fresh in. I mean, there could be some other circumstances. I doubt it when it's. Yeah, I mean, you know, you know what's in their union agreement and what the, the, the league can and cannot do. Right. But I mean, it, it's got to be there. There's something. I mean, yes, the union always usually, unless you're Trevor Bauer, they said, now you're on your own. We just don't. Yeah. Like you. <laughs> <laughs> so there are exceptions to that. And I, I don't quite know her standing among her peers. I got no clue whether she's a likable person behind the scenes or whether she was inebriate. I don't know. I don't really care, but I care about the WNBA at this, as of this recording, lack of action. And they're allowed to do that because it gets no attention. You can't cry for attention and then sort of like a take solace in the fact that you don't have it when it suits your, your, your narrative. And this is one of Correct. them. Correct. Yeah. And I'll, I'll close off with something that's sort of more dedicated to Evan, because I think he would have talked about this if, if he were here. Evan does not follow college sports. He finds the NCAA corrupt, and he's right. Uh, he's a thousand percent right. It is. I, I hate hypocrites, and which means I hate myself every time I watch the NCAA and the Olympics. 
because they're the two most evil organizations and I want, well, FIFA, I guess, is there throw them in too. But I'll watch it because I do love college football. I love, love college football. The Pac-12. So what, Colorado's leaving for the Big 12. So I guess congrats on Big for the Big 12 for, for resurrecting themselves from what looked to be really bad when I believe it's Texas and was it Oklahoma? I forget who are going to join the SEC. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. So I love, okay, well, it's, it's okay. Guys, it's okay. We got San Diego State. It's okay. We're going to get SMU. We might get Tulane. Terry Bradshaw once played here. I, I, Evan would always say that we're so far, we're not that far away from like a weird super league, but here we are with the haves and the have nots completely chasming. And, you know, it, it's, I struggle with this because I'm kind of pro capitalism, but then you, you see this and I, I don't know what, I don't even know that I have a solution here. It's just watching a shit show in real time. Absolutely. And obviously, or not obviously, I would imagine USC, UCLA are thinking, okay, we're not sticking around for this. They, they're, they're trying to figure out what their way out. I think they already have. But how far are we away from NC, from college football of maybe three super leagues? We're, we're not far away at all because, I mean, it's something that's what they want. Yeah. Uh, I threw out a blurb of a, of a news article I saw about Tommy Tuberville and Joe Manchin wanting to combat the NIL and what the players are doing after they finally get some control over themselves. They want to do legislation that's going to curtail what the players are allowed to do and essentially give that power back to the NCAA. And again, my feelings about that are Tommy Tuberville should probably be the last person to be involved in any type of NCAA regulations because, A, Republicans don't believe in regulations. They want deregulations. But he also made his millions on the backs of mm -hmm. athletes to come to Auburn, and he hardly graduated any of them. So all this wine wanting to, to, to maintain the level of the, the student athlete is bullshit. Can I can can I play uh the but the, the, the glasses, no, I'm gonna play the glasses half full. It's okay. a Republican and a Democrat reaching together. Wow, Democrat. I knew you're gonna say that, but I just wanted to tee that. That's <laughs> I know you like to feed into my soapbox rants on politics. I kind of know well. Yeah, I I here here's my my official political thing: free agent, hate Trudeau. That's about it. But yeah, when I saw that where the, the, the athletes finally got a chance, to, okay, we don't like what this coach is doing. You didn't promise us what you're doing. We're leaving it one year. They want to curtail that. They want to limit the name, image, likeness contracts. And it's just, okay, we get it. You coaches are losing control. It may affect your salary. Uh, another item that wasn't in their legislation was caps on coaches' salary, which there should be given that when you're at the elite level of either football or basketball, particularly at state schools, mm -hmm. your highest employed state, your highest employed state employee is usually that state's basketball or football coach. You're going. That's ridiculous. It's a big reason why a lot of them don't leave. 
exactly. Also, too, a big reason why the skill sets are just so different. I mean, I can't imagine the recruiting involved and just just the whole, it feels like that just never ends. No. I, I got no problem with being paid well, but I, I have a bigger problem when someone can't make money off their likeness. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so that, that's something I've always had an issue with. So with that, uh, well, Evan's really good. See, Evan, Evan's really good at being moral. So like, I always, I never sort of like bring up some of these things. So I, really, it's your fault that I went off. The <laughs> Sorry, Evan. I don't know that I would have, I would have mentioned my herpes show if he was here. Well, you know, that's something we can work on. And then when it does get on the air and it gets canceled some years down the road, we can have the show that this crap was on national television. The you, know, you know, it'll happen. It'll happen when I, I finally get that dream job as, as the, uh, and it's going to be for like CBS and I'm going to be hosting. Uh, it'll be a classy dating show. And then someone will dig up all through the archives of my herpes rant <laughs> or my ones about midgets. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Little people. But yes. Why we don't have sponsors. <laughs> I had one for a little bit. Right, right. I still might I still might get with that one back. I don't know. But with that being said, uh, there's other things in the Bucknerverse that we do. Uh, and Winnie sometimes shows up, not always when she's sort of like uh, digested some fecal matter. I would not have her mouth that close to my mouth knowing what she just ate. You know, I love her. What, what am I going to say? Yeah, don't. I won't let you kiss me though. Bucknerverse. Bucknerverse. Yes. Glenn's also the co-host of another show that we do uh, called the Classic Sports Review, and soon we're gonna we're just like uh, trying to compile a few before he defends his, his intercontinental uh, triathlete title. So uh, we recorded uh, the. Well, I don't know how sports it is, but we had fun with it anyway. Uh, roller yeah. games. <laughs> so we decided we're going to actually do something that is sports related. Winnie, you knocked that over. Uh, we're looking at the 1994 Major League Baseball All-Star Game, where it's very important, not because of the game itself. The game itself is really irrelevant. It's just everything leading up to it. A month later, they would go on strike and they wouldn't come back. And this was critical in so many ways for the future of baseball, the future of teams the future of stats if we want to sort of argue that uh so much had changed and to recover it probably led to another era an era where they were sort of ostriching putting their head in the sand ignoring certain things that were going on and some of those players were would be involved so look for that and we have a very special guest hint he's not a former olympic medalist He's not a former NFL uh, pro bowler. It's someone with more, far greater credentials. We'll leave it at that. <laughs> we'll leave it at that. Uh-huh. So we have that. Uh, also, it's the Retro Football Show with Paul Lawrence. Uh, we have recorded uh, Super Bowl Nine, and uh, we're, we're going to be doing Super Bowl Ten shortly. So look for that soon. That's a lot of fun. Uh, there's also Vinny Makes the Hall of Fame, Case 4. He was going to do one on Seymour Siwoff, the great statistician, but he's changed his mind. He wants to go to a player next. 
Uh, but the last one up on the Bucknerverse is Don Cherry. Oh, okay. So check that one out, where uh, we actually played uh, the the snippet of what really got Don Cherry fired. And we sort of do, uh, do a deep dive into why, why that sort of got him sacked, why he's still very, very important, and why the current generation has, they're sort of wrong viewing him one-dimensionally. Because they just don't know what he meant at one point. Definitely got to look at that one. Yeah. You rotten kids, you just don't understand. Because back in our day. Anywho, uh, there's also another show called How the Hell Was This a Hit? Well, last one we just recorded was, what was, what was the last one I recorded? I don't remember. <laughs> I might have been drinking again. No, I wasn't drinking, but I legitimately don't remember. Uh, but the one that we're, we've got next is de de etre bebe. Do you know what that is? <laughs> no clue what that is. Okay. Well, that's French for it's tough to be a baby. And this was a number one hit in France and other parts of Europe. And it's by a four-year-old who sang, it's tough to be a baby. <laughs> so what number one, what number 58 in your country, minor hit in, in La Belle Provence of Quebec. So how do you think it went for a poor four-year-old who was exploited by his parents? Uh, cocaine by 12, alcohol by 13. No, but not far, but it didn't go well, as it generally doesn't when you exploit your four-year-old kid. Uh, future projection, the kid from Ryan's world will be bankrupt when he can actually legally get his money. Did you see that YouTube show? Not see that. I had never heard of it until a few years ago, or just a couple years ago. We were invited over at uh, Pauline's friend's house or something. And there's a kid just watching this YouTube show. Like, what the hell is this? It's just this little kid who's just getting looking at toys. Turns out it's one of the biggest YouTube channels going. Wow. Making millions. Prediction, that kid will see none of that. Because that's just sadly what happens to a lot of that. For every Jodie Foster, there's 25 Gary Coleman's. Sadly. Yes. And with that, the Bucknerverse ends this chapter for today. So wherever you are, wherever you may be, we just happen to be here. Winnie and I are in Mount Manitoba. Glenn, in beautiful Buffalo, New York. Sunny Buffalo, New York. Yes. We bid you, because I'm thinking French, adieu. Adieu. Stay safe, everybody. Take care. <laughs>